0: Alright folks, welcome to the podcast. We're in Aransas Pass today. I've got uh, John helping me out with this one again. We're at Slow Ride Guide Service in Kayak Rentals, right off of Commercial Street in Aransas Pass. And we've got, we've got Dean and Kerry here with us. Thanks for allowing us to come here, guys. Uh,
1: always a pleasure. Thanks for coming out.
0: I appreciate this. Um, Dean, why don't you just give us a quick intro and do your, yourself and, and your business, and then we'll let Kerry jump in.
1: Um, cool, and again, thanks for being here today. Um, I've been in bez- business guiding fishing trips right here on Commercial Street in Rands Pass for 16 years. started out um, with just my skiff, guiding trips. It grew into kayak rentals, which grew into guided kayak trips, which grew into uh, fly fishing and lure fishing, you know pretty much exclusively across the flats. I had a fishing school once upon a time where we had a class. Um, was a big part of the program that has kind of went away, have thought about revisiting that in the future. Um, But it's been, you know, incredible 16 years right here in downtown Aransas Pass.
0: All right. Carrie?
2: Well, yes, Dean is certainly the best-known kayak and fishing guide in the area. He is also a member of the Aransas Pass Chamber of Commerce, which I am on the board of directors. And um, everyone in town has um, been anxiously watching the recovery here at the uh, shop
0: so the shop is is an an old house we were just chatting about this before that we started uh this podcast so dean give us a little history or carry a little history on this place because it's pretty neat
1: the house approximately 100 years old i'm not exactly sure what year it was built um admiral wright built it owned it for many years his family lived in it um throughout the history of aransas pass um There's a lot of history in the library, documented like dinner parties. His wife liked to entertain, seafood dinners, um, pretty interesting people. And his grandkids lived here over the years. And then it ended up abandoned. Um, I don't know how long it sat empty, but it was two blocks north and facing the water. And then it was relocated over here about 20 years ago, had holes in the roof, um, came in, fixed it up, made it to a little kayak shop. um, And then pretty much it existed that way until the hurricane leaned it over
0: so for about 15 years it was set up as a a kayak shop in this location
1: yep yep the room that we're sitting in right here stored kayaks um and the office was on the other side we've kind of changed it around in the new configuration
0: so what made you want to go into uh, to specialize your guide service more into kayaks and fly fishing and artificial lure fishing
1: Uh, bait fishing and the boat fishing was just not for me i'd don't have a personality that adapts well to sitting still so paddling pursuing fish spending more time moving around the flats was just my style of fishing so i wanted to get people to fish my style and whenever i started kayaking and i found the ability to sight cast to reds and get up close and personal with fish like i had never done before from a skiff it just grew it grew from there
0: was that a risk though i mean did you feel like you were going to lose out on some some of your clients by <laughs> narr- by specializing like that?
1: Um, it was a risk. A lot of people questioned what I was uh, – my ambitions at that time. But, I mean, I really loved it, and I, it really um, worked out for me. I mean, the sport was new then, but it grew. It grew with me and my guide service. So it was really good timing to take a chance like that.
3: Yeah. So you were one of the first ones – I'm just thinking back, and I kind of dabbled with the kayaks a little bit in Lake Jackson and sold a few, and, and then uh, – that was all – I was still working at Dow at the time and just looking for something to do on the side. I enjoyed it, uh, but that's when it was kind of exploding back in the – I guess that would have been early uh, 2000s, late 90s.
1: Oh four, oh five is yeah. when it was just really um, out of control. Yeah. and uh, It still is to this day.
3: Yeah, and I know you'd always kind of been at the forefront of that. And uh, like I said, the good ones stick around. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a fun run.
0: Now, what, do you, what, what kayaks do you like to run out of?
1: Wilderness systems. Um, the tarpon? or The tarpon is my favorite. The flats that I fish on are very, very shallow, one foot um, to two foot at the most. Um, we also battle the wind here. If you're going to paddle in my part of the world, you will um, be challenged by the wind. So tarpons are very low. They're efficient. They're streamlined. I recommend uh, high-performance paddle. Um, a kayak with a rudder something very low profile
0: i had a 160 and i felt that it was for me it was a, i wish i had a 140 the 160 for me was a bit a bit too much because just because in and out of the truck and then that extra two feet hanging out um when i'm traveling with it it was a challenge
1: i paddle both of those boats quite often the 160 is what i paddled this morning um it's incredible in a straight line when you get it going. Mm-hmm. We paddle a lot of distance around here. I mean, some days the trick is to cover a lot of water. And, yeah, it, it is the boat to get me there.
0: Yeah. What do you want to, you take, <laughs> you want to take care of that? <laughs> um,
1: I have all the boats, so I have all the Wilderness Systems models. One thing that has changed over the years is the evolution of the kayaks. We were talking about when we started like 16 years ago, tarpon was it. Right. There were – one or two other models that competed with that. Now, they have completely evolved into wide, stable, stand-up style boats with motors, boats with pedals. Yeah, I mean it has evolved into hundreds of models.
0: A lot, yeah. And depending on what type of fishing you do, you know, there's a lot of guys that like to go out of the surf and go past the breakers, mm-hmm. and they, there's kayaks that are, oh. you know, better for that than. Probably the uh, 160 tarpon. <laughs> yeah, and there's so. a whole
1: other group of adventurous young men. I yeah. have outgrown that need <laughs> <for adrenaline. laughs> Those boys, they kind of live on the edge out there. Sorry, those yeah. boats are very specialized to what they do, yeah. gear also. Um, yeah. Super cool what they do. They go after some really incredible fish. Um, you know, if you're going to paddle from the beach five miles out to the rig, yeah, you get my vote. But it's just <laughs> something that I don't do. But those boats also have evolved into very special purpose for what those guys wanna do. Yeah.
3: Yeah, we were uh <clears throat> I guess when we were deploying some pyramids on the near shore reefing site between Packery and uh and Port Ransas. We were out there we'd start and fished on a rig and then we're heading out to the deployment site to do some video and stuff and heck I looked up and there's dang Kayak out there I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> he uh was headed back in and I was watching I was out, popped the umbrella and he was catching the wind in wow. his umbrella driving him in. So yep.
1: <clears throat> And it's crazy to see those guys out there now. I remember when people looked at me on the flats like that. Yeah. They were like, "Are you okay? You need a ride?" It's like, "No, man. I'm supposed to be here." Um, but nowadays, it's completely the opposite. You know, kayaks are everywhere. Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: Well, it's a you know, it's 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 a, they're affordable for most people, and uh, it does give you uh, that experience that you don't often get or you can't get from a, a larger vessel. Oh, absolutely. When, when people asked me why I did it, I was like, "Well, like, I kind of equated it to stalking, um, hunting." or bow hunting just it was a little more intimate and um i felt like i was more connected with what i was doing
1: oh yeah this morning was awesome i took off monday morning um paddled out there didn't see another boat another kayak um it is a different way to experience the flats it's pretty cool
0: is that a is that a trip or did you go just just i
1: just went on my own today i just had to go out and look around um i knew it was gonna be kind of breezy but the tide was up um bait fish been crazy along the channel so i just took a little short trip and uh Caught a couple fish, made it back in time to see you guys.
3: All right. Yeah, I woke up this morning, saw his pictures. I said, I hope he remembered. (laughs) (laughs) I was watching the clock.
0: (laughs) Well, uh, see, you fish Redfish Bay quite a bit, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. You fish within that state scientific area, I assume. Have you seen that change at all since uh, that became a state scientific area? I mean, it.
1: Um, The people's habits have definitely changed. Um, It's kind of, it's been a very long-term process. I remember when the seagrass issues first um, came up, there was a task force for the protection of seagrass. Um, And there were a lot of uh, heated debates back then. And even though the result of that is the protection of all seagrass in Texas now, Mm -hmm. the fact that Redfish Bay was the first one that there were voluntary prop-up zones, which nowhere in Texas is there a prop-up zone, Um, but because there were voluntary zones here at one time, it almost became, um, you know, perceived that there was no prop up zone, but they were actually volunteer. So to this day, people still remember that. I mean, and that did create a supreme awareness for the seagrass on our flats. And uh, a lot of boats um, still avoid those areas. Yeah. Um, The evolution of flats boats also has been incredible. Boats run in the very shallow water, very dependable. They're engineering works of art. They're um, gave access to a lot more areas. Um, of people, but um, I gotta admit, on you know, holiday weekends and weekends in general, people can get a little crazy, but um, on most days, there's a pretty good awareness of our seagrass.
0: Has the quality of fishing changed at all, or is it hard to put a measure um, to that?
1: It, it's it changes. It's funny, I talk to people who fished before me, the era older guys before me, and how they compare how fishing changed over their years out on the water. I've been on the water full-time for 16 years now, and I've watched patterns change where fish move from place to place. Um, I think the quality of fishing is definitely there, but the people affect areas more than anything else. So as areas become popular and more people do invade those areas, the fish's behavior change. But, you know, the challenge is to find less human interaction, and those places are harder to find nowadays. But the fish are still there, the numbers are there, they can be caught, Um, but the people really do affect their behavior a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Lighthouse Lakes is a perfect example. 16 years ago, nobody ever heard of that place. Didn't even have a name. It was just these flats out there by the causeway. And they put some paddle markers in there once upon a time. It was a great idea. That became an incredible idea for everybody in the state and that we used to have... Shoreline to shoreline, schools of tailing reds and lighthouse lakes, and those fish just don't exist anymore. That the people have definitely altered that area. That, that became a, like a,
0: a advertised paddling trail. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I think they had several the, those the up Texas down. Parks and
1: Wildlife developed it. They put markers out there. They promoted it. You know, it, it was great. It was very popular. It was a yeah. great way to get a lot of people out to experience the flats for not a lot of money, for not a lot of investment. You could get out there where, you know. Once upon a time was only big boats could get you there. And every community who touches water, whether it's a coast, a lake, or a river, or a creek, has a paddling trail now. And um, Lighthouse Lakes was the first one. It was the first concept for that. And that has grown across it's the country grown. now.
0: Yeah, that's the conundrum <laughs> that uh, I guess we've spoken about this before, John. I think yeah. any natural resource group or groups like us, you know, you want more members, you want more users, you want it. To uh, show people that hey, this is this great thing that you have access to, but with that comes along what you just spoke of, Dean, and that's uh, it's, impacts on that on that resource. And, and, and it's
3: it's a it's a fine balance. You got to try to find that balance, and I think CCA's balance and all this, like Shane said, we're re- constantly recruiting, but to make changes that conserve the resource, to protect the resource, and take care of the resource, you got to have you know when you're in Austin, you're in DC, you got to have numbers, so you've got to recruit. And I think our balance is trying to constantly educate our members that this is a beautiful thing to take part of, but you have to take care of it and, and, you know, be the steward of it and, yeah. and, uh, you know, don't, don't allow it to be destroyed or abused. And, uh, the, the fishing, the fishing world, the fishing industry has just grown exponentially. Uh, you know, like I said, in the last 16 years, it, it's crazy. You look at the number of boats on the water, and the number of new boats every year that continually – I mean, I think sure, – I think Haney's is probably, you know, it's a 6 months wait for some people depending on what style of boat you want. And at the same time, those all those used boats that were prior owned are going to somebody else. And so it's just that many more people. And we got we to keep continue pushing this education and, yeah. and, you know, do it through people as yourself and through ourselves and other guides. So.
1: Yeah, and it's amazing how many people we reach in San Antonio and Austin – of my clients come from Houston, San Antonio, or Austin. And I was really surprised to hear how many chapters there were of the CCA in San Antonio, which that means all of those people are supporting our efforts on the coast. They want to make that trip here. So they actually form their club, go to meetings, have fundraisers, which, yeah, protects what we enjoy down here. So, yeah, I was really surprised at how many there were in Houston, and all those places so that's how those people connect with me they yeah. come down here and they're going to take that information
3: back to their club yeah, yeah. well you look at partial wildlife's numbers if you know uh i'll use rockport example and i'm same here but you got outside of randes county noasis county and san pat county bear county is the next highest number of people visiting that area
1: yeah Yeah. They, they do the monitors at the ramps the numbers tell the story the fishing licenses that are sold every year. The saltwater stamps, and the boat sales and even real estate house sales on the coast—you um, can follow that easily with graphs on the trends on how many people are coming to the flats. You know, yeah. and it is a finite resource, and uh, they will keep coming.
0: Were you? Were you? Uh, when you had your fishing school, and you're think—you said you're thinking about bringing that back around. What was the? I guess what was the. If you could have a one-page syllabus, what would be on that syllabus for your fishing school? I mean, what did you talk about? Uh, what did what did that entail?
1: Um, we covered a lot of safety issues, um, how people can get hurt out there on the flats. Um, we covered the tides and the terrain, which um, can be pretty confusing. The tides they change, you know, every month with the moon, um, and just how that affected, or how the terrain affected that, with you know, cuts and channels versus reefs and stuff like that. Um, And then we covered tackle selection, rods and reels and lures and fly rods, what weights and just specific um, tactics for the flats. Was it
0: catered to a specific audience or was it just, you know, just Mm. general? It
1: was, it was was pretty broad. We covered a lot of area. Um, um, We had, fathers and sons come to the class we had husbands and wives we had very experienced anglers that traveled around the country that just wanted to improve had a lot of guys that were bass fishermen from inland that mm, wanted yeah. to learn the salt yeah um and so yeah it was um just a way to if no matter what level they were could start at the beginning or improve from there
0: i pulled up when i was when you mentioned safety i pulled up your website what to expect oh, yeah. for your kayak oh yeah uh, service you will get wet <laughs> you're not going to roll your kayak you mentioned this. Low tides and high winds make it difficult at times. There are hazards on the water. Oyster shells are very sharp. Mucky boots can literally swallow shoes. Stingrays, well, that's a trip to the hospital. It's great advice. <laughs>
1: the, um, the oysters do not get the publicity they deserve. Oysters send more people to the emergency room than everything else out there. People paddle into areas and get hung up in the oysters, and they want to step out of their boat and don't realize how unstable it is and fall to the ground and... It's always a trip to the emergency room. They, yep. There's no such thing as a small oyster cut. With the potential
0: of flesh-eating oh, bacteria. Nor, nor,
3: nor is it a clean cut, It's right. jagged and nasty.
1: No. And then you have to get yourself to the hospital in that bloody situation. <laughs> yeah. But uh, stingrays, everybody's heard about them. Everybody's scared of them. Jellyfish, they sting for a little while. Very survivable. The oysters will hurt you bad, and nobody ever speaks of them. The, uh interesting they get very i rich talk rich about rich. them all the time but not about <laughs> yeah. for the cuts we're, <laughs> we're
3: trying to make more you're talking about lunch uh, <laughs> That too. That too. Yeah. I, uh, you said something a while ago you talked about the bass fishermen coming down and wanting to get salty and stuff and your experience when you've had a, an experienced bass fisherman who typically 99 times out of a is going to be throwing worms or something like that do you find their um their skill level a little bit more than, say, a novice saltwater fisherman? I love those bass guys.
1: They will throw a worm or a plug all day long. Um, and their skills adapt very well to what I do. Sight casting, a lot of blind casting too. But the bass guys are great with conventional tackle, whether it's a spinner or a baitcaster. And, yes, um, same lures, topwaters, worms, jig heads, very similar process. The one thing the bass guys do is they get attached to the shorelines. They still want to throw at the shorelines. I constantly have to tell them the grass is on the bottom. It's like, look down. The shorelines aren't as critical, but it's just it's the way they're tuned in. They want yeah, to they're fishing. The they Use yeah. fishing structure and edges. So so. Once I get those guys tuned in to fishing the wide open flats, hitting the sand holes, and just throwing at swirls or any sign of life, they do very well. Those guys make my day pretty
3: easy. Yeah. That's, I think that's, uh, that's what I would have said. That's a, that's a common <clears> – <throat> I think that's a common oh, feel if you, talk to guides, if you talk to guides up and down the coast and would you rather have just a novice saltwater guy or a novice bass fishing guy that's coming to the saltwater. They're going to say that bass, bass guy every time.
1: Yeah, we fish with everybody. It's, it's always fun. And you never know. We have people that adapt very quick. Put a rod in their hands, brief lesson, cut them loose. Some people, it takes – four or five trips, <laughs> and they develop some skills, <laughs> but um, it's always fun to try.
0: Well, um, I mean, I did want to get into the hurricane and what that effort has been like uh, post-Harvey uh, real quick, but before we do that, do you do you have trouble booking trips now? Well, I guess I should say, are your customers mostly repeat, or are you always bringing in new new clients into this?
1: It's both every year. Really? We'll have clients who will fade away over time. We will have repeat business, um, a lot of new business, and then a lot of word of mouth where people come and fish with me. They go home. They tell their friends, "Ah, this guy was cool, had a good time. Then those people are more likely to
0: show up, too. Because that's how I found out about you was word of mouth. I'm glad that you mentioned that. Keith Ranasek mentioned you on Facebook. I find
1: that more people will actually show up and tell me, hey, man, my buddy fished with you last summer had a good time with the kids and stuff and those are the people who always um get right they pick up a magazine people will see your ad people read all over the internet but when somebody has that personal touch Uh those people always show up to
3: come fishing yeah shane made he just made the comment you know he was reached through facebook how do you see the changes in the fishing world with social media oh man um you gotta be careful with the
1: background on your pictures. You can, <laughs> you can attract a crowd really fast nowadays, like within minutes. They're, they're driving around looking for you. Um, so it is instant um, information. Um, man, I remember when I got my first flip phone where I could open it up and look at the radar when I was outside on the water. And I thought that was just the hugest advancement in fishing technology (laughs) and now you know with the network of people um and it's changed the whole world out there it um it's instant information and it's available and everybody's got one in their pocket (laughs) yep yep
0: and everybody's an expert (laughs) everybody's Everybody's
1: iphone expert (laughs) (laughs) um but it definitely does it connected everybody really quick and um it's just the information world that we live in now it's not
0: going
3: to change. I was uh <clears throat> forgot what I was listening to, but they were talking about how sometimes at the turn of the century they said <clears throat> the knowledge of the world would double within a, a century, and then by World War II that decreased to 25 years, and then the different time frames, and now it's literally the information available doubles just literally in in days you know, compared to back then and the fish stay the same yep
0: (laughs) (laughs) hopefully we can do some things to keep it sustainable or improve it you know that's kind of what you know john and i are real passionate about that unfortunately this little thing called harvey may have come through and had some impacts but every guide i've spoken to so far since then has said that the fishing has been great since hurricane harvey so from a fishing aspect i'm really interested in hearing from you Kind of what you've seen on the water since the uh, the hurricane. Fishing has been good.
1: And what I have seen is a lot less people. Yeah. So, I mean, I've heard people that had hurricanes in other parts of the Gulf Coast tell me how fishing rebounded so great after the hurricane. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Immediately after the hurricane, I mean, we were on the water within the second day. And the water that the storm surge that came on land and then the water that went out was nasty. It was, it was just contaminated. It looked horrible. But that cleared up really quick. Um, and then the fishing rebounded within, you know, a week or two, it seemed like. Um, the fish reacted, I mean, in the short term, it was definitely um, affected them. But now that we're six months down the road, fishing has been great, you know, the last month. But during the last four or five months, there's been nobody on the water. There has been a fraction of the pressure. Yeah. So that's the difference making I don't, think, maker, I don't you know. I, it would be interesting to have, you know, to sit down and talk with biologists after the fact that are doing net surveys. And I know there's data being collected now on yeah. the scientific level. Yeah. You know, from what I've seen, there's less people and the fishing is good. Um, it's been great. The speckled trout right now or where they're supposed to be. We went out the other evening, pulled up, very first cast, boom, 21-inch trout. You know, within like 30 minutes, we had just beauty. So I went to five of my primo spots, one, two, three, four, five. Nobody, nobody, nobody at any one of those spots. So you can just pull up. And when you can do that, you can perform very yeah. well. And I know that spring break is coming on, and the people got spring fever, and they were here and everybody's planning their trips, and summer will rebound. The people will be back. It's are you, just a matter of time.
0: Are you booking trips? Do you have any trouble booking trips for the summer? Has this summer been any different from previous summers? It's
1: very light. Trip bookings are very light. We've been getting short notice stuff, but long-term advanced bookings have been very slow. Some of my other guide friends around town that I've talked to are pretty much the same. Some are doing better than others, um, but it's slow overall.
3: Yeah. Uh, I know, like in Rockport, you know, our lodging is what's. I mean, we're down, golly, probably half of what we were before the storm, and probably two thirds to three quarters and a half right now is taken up by contractors. I mean, I've seen same thing in. Rams Pass, yes. Carrie can probably speak to that.
2: Yeah, we have a, a vacation rental cottage here that has been occupied by a displaced family since September 1st. So we were fortunate to be able to have the, the cottage; it sustained very little damage, and it ha- has been occupied. They are supposed to be out at the end of April, and um, it is listed on VRBO. So we ha- are getting bookings for that now more so than the fishing, um, but yeah, it's getting booked up now.
1: Our but hotels took a pretty hard hit, yeah. which you know could house <laughs> hundreds of people. Yeah. So there's a lot of cabins and other rental stuff available, but the hotels, just like Rockport, they yeah. got wiped out.
3: Yeah.
2: yeah, we have two hotels just now open. Microtel has been open for, for several months now. I think it was the first one. And our big new motel, Fairfield Inn, just opened a week or so ago.
3: Where do they oh, build? Where do they build a Fairfield? Is it
2: on the other side of town, by Lowe's and Walmart? Okay. Waterbury. Okay.
3: Guess I haven't having I mean, noticed that. Yep.
2: Yeah.
1: They were open for um, maybe one month before the hurricane. <laughs> Man, yeah. yeah, that was. Oh wow. Tough timing yeah. for those guys. Yes. Right? Yeah.
0: Goodness. So before the storm, when did you guys decide? Okay, we got to get serious, make our preparations, and do what we can do before we got to leave. How did well, that work play out for y'all?
2: I was very very young but i lived through Celia that hit in 1970 i was prepared the second they said the storm was headed this way i knew there was no way i was going to stay dean wanted to stay and ride it out he ultimately came with me <laughs> <laughs>
3: i
0: think that's the way it works most of the time yeah. <laughs> um,
2: leading
1: up to that i mean we we made all the preparations we boarded the windows um we gathered up a bunch of stuff as much as possible this storm escalated really quick i mean you had to move fast on this one and between the rental cottage the shop here and the house we had a lot to gather up paperwork you know we gathered up the office to go um and right up to the last second we're watching the radar like everybody else packing the car while watching the radar um and you know once everybody realized it was inevitable what was going to happen yeah we jumped in the car like you know a couple hours before it hit that evening that afternoon
3: oh all so when y'all left it was already sporty then oh it
1: was crazy we had clients here from italy i have some friends that come every year they were in the rental cottage with us so they were here for a month they didn't really have a big option where to evacuate so they went with us to zapata um carrie's family has a house there we went and spent the night and so those guys actually traveled back with us after the storm participated in a couple days of disaster cleanup and then they uh on their vacation and went back. So leading up to it was very chaotic, man. It was um, crazy. But I've been asked that question, though, about what would, did you learn or what would you do different? And it's just you have to live like it's going to happen tomorrow and cut your trees down before you leave.
0: Yeah. Because they're going to be least, down. Least we'll, we'll <laughs> make the it where the <laughs> wind can blow through them at least.
1: The best <laughs> advice I give anybody is cut your trees down before you leave. It's easier yes, than taking the them advice. off your roof. <laughs> <laughs> Man.
0: Uh,
3: yeah.
0: Well, when, what did you, so what did you come back to when y'all got back um, at the cottage and here at the uh, at the shop? What did you come back to?
2: Well, when we first came back into town, uh, very nervous looking at what was coming in. When we got probably three-quarters of a mile away from the house, I lost it. I just started crying. It was devastation everywhere. The number of oak trees that were just down... Um, People's homes. It was it was devastating for me to see. I was I was a basket case um, when Come we in. got here to the shop. After we we went to the house first, and uh, the big house sustained little little problems. Thank goodness, but when we got here and the streets were flooded, and so many homes lost roofs and they were just down. And um, we could see that the shop was badly damaged. No windows, leaning over. I was in waist-high water holding on to Dean, thinking I was going to be swept out to sea. But it was devastating. It was very, very, very hard to see.
0: When did you start? So you're coming into town from the south? south. or when did? How far into town or outside of town was it where you really started to notice, oh, this is
1: bad? It was about the airport, McCampbell Airport. We came in the back roads. Okay. And... Once we hit, like, 1069, it was just power lines. Every pole was down. Every line was down. Um, you really – there was so much debris, tree debris on the roads, you couldn't see where the roads began and ended, really. It was just, you know, you kind of wormed your way through the path. And then, yeah, it was um, – the convenience stores and the car wash and the, the um, storage buildings were just shredded. I mean, the sheet metal that was spread around town um, – is just, I mean, the debris, and then, you know, the two weeks after that of just watching everybody push their house out to the curb, yeah, Um amongst everything else was it's still heartbreak. very emotional.
2: Yeah. It's it yeah. gets me. Yeah, still very emotional. Yeah, it's
3: you you, bat, you battle through it, and you see it, and just talking to different friends, they're like, "Man, you know, town didn't look too bad." And I said, "Well, it's it's getting there, but it's still, you know." Yeah, I get they didn't great really compliments for, yeah. Yeah, from yeah. people
1: who come to town now and say that it looks really good, yeah. which um, it's amazing the amount of work that took place to get yeah. it to where it is now.
2: Aransas Pass was very fortunate in that we had just uh, signed a um, disaster recovery plan weeks, not, not even 10 days before Harvey hit. So we were very fortunate to have that in place as far as our debris cleanup and water and you know help was going to be here immediately uh-huh. and it was and that certainly helped us recover i'm
3: pretty good friends with sarah lee and she was oh. telling me some of the stuff that went on and i was like wow yeah oh, the they amount had the, y'all had y'all stuff together
2: yes we did the amount of work that sarah uh rosemary vega the chamber of commerce director uh our mayor ram gomez and i mean the list just goes on and on, chief, and on and on our police, police Department chief eric blanchard
3: i love y'all's police chief he uh Kind of follow some of his stuff on social media. And he oh, yeah. said, he's a hoot. He's a yeah.
2: they, they had it going. Our uh, emergency director, Lynn Pierce, they were phenomenal in helping uh, people evacuate before the storm. And then after the storm, the efforts that they took to get us back online and back up and running is phenomenal.
3: A lot to be proud of. Yeah, yeah. that's great and to it's, hear. It's, yeah. Our community to of.
2: came together um you know, strangers helping strangers, neighbors helping neighbors. It was, um, you know, all up and down the coast. But sure. we were very fortunate to uh, have the kind of love and support that came out from all over the United States to help us. And we still have volunteers from all hands here. Mm-hmm.
0: must have made you pretty proud, though, as a fourth-generation citizen in this community. Absolutely. To, to see that and be Absolutely. a part of that.
2: Yes. It's very proud. Very, um, my heart just goes out to all everybody that's here. Um, everybody just really came together in a time of need it was phenomenal and our city is doing a fantastic job and and uh helping everyone
3: yeah. i guess last uh I remember what night it was that line that came through was last thursday night
2: oh, yes wow. the following Scary. it ptsd up. struck yeah in. <laughs> exactly Absolutely. everybody was scared
3: y'all get here Tornado
1: and Holiday that Beach. tornado hit Holiday Beach. Oh, I didn't know about that. one
3: house just got rebuilt, and it blew it up. One guy just put some boat barns back up, and right. had them scattered all over the place. It's crazy. yeah, it was, oh, man. Yeah, it was yeah, scary. It was. That was about as severe as weather as it, I've been in outside of the hurricane. You know, it was. It was rough. Wow.
0: So y'all got to the shop, waiting, waist deep water or whatever it was, and um, assessed what had taking place here, the place was leaning over. What have you done uh, since then to try to get it back ready to help support the business?
1: Uh, We spent the last six months disassembling it and reassembling it. Um, It was a challenge just um, to get a contractor to talk to me in the beginning. Um, Everybody was swamped and you know, kind of desperate for some kind of advice on their house. People were putting blue tarps on everything at that point, and so we were just trying to decide if we were going to tear it down or what was going to be the future of this building. Um, was a very challenging prospect because it was broken structurally, um, and then to get a contractor to do it, got some advice, but nobody wanted it. Um, and then I got an engineer who was willing to work with me and advise me, and we were able to do the work. And as we experimented with pulling it back into shape stage one went great um it's kind of a big question mark after that you know
0: you literally had to pull it back to square
1: literally drilled holes in the walls and the floor and put cables from the ceiling to the roof and come alongs and pulled the entire building back to its original shape before we could pull it we had to build temporary walls which consisted of four by fours hammered into place um, upstairs and downstairs so that when we pulled it, it pulled it up and over and didn't just crumble. Yeah. Because it was already on the verge of crumbling. And I think it probably withstood as much as it could. It was leaning and it was swaying. And if the hurricane would have persisted, I think we would have found it on the ground pretty soon. It was very close to giving it up. Yeah. So that made it very difficult to put it back to where it was. But since then, um, the effort has been crazy. We rebuilt – the beam, the walls, every stud, everything you see here today has been completely rebuilt.
0: You say we, you mean you and... Me
1: and Carrie, my helper <laughs> over here. <laughs> Carrie and I have actually hauled every board, every nail, every piece of paint floor. We have done this pretty much ourselves. Um, the contractors that are here are stretched thin. It's very difficult to get someone to do work. This project was very unique. It was a very old house. Yeah, And... There's just not an abundance of people in that line of work right now, so that inspired me to do it myself. And now that I've got to where I am, I wouldn't let anybody else work on it. I've come this far; I don't <laughs> yeah. want anybody well, else to touch it. Yeah.
3: You wouldn't get the love from anybody else that you put exactly.
1: I loved every nail. Every time I hit my thumb, I loved it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, pretty. Uh, it's amazing pretty what amazing.
2: You can do when you have to.
3: Yeah, pretty uh, pretty amazing, and. and uh, Y'all talked about the stories from hundreds of years ago. We had a lot of stories to share 30, 40, 50 years from now.
1: We're going to have a scrapbook. I'm going to put all of that original history. We have tons of pictures from this event, and uh, I want it to be all together in one place. I'm going to put a nice photo history on the wall here too.
0: What are your plans? We spoke off air, but why don't you go ahead and mention what your plans are uh, for different parts of this shop. The room we're sitting in now. What's well, what's this we one are going
2: be? to uh, broaden our retail. We will have more fishing lures and tackle. We're going. To, uh, the uh, slow ride vacation rental uh, office is now going to be set up in here as well.
1: National headquarters.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, he will have other retail items: sunglasses, shirts, shirts and hats, hats, stuff like that. Yeah.
3: So there's not really a tackle shop in Rams Pass, is there?
1: No. No. Um, I want to sell a few tackle items specific, you know, to what I use. Right. I don't want to be too creative. Um, yeah. Keep it specific to um, my needs. So if somebody comes and fishes with me, they like what we use that day, they caught some fish, um, we'll have them available. Nice. T-shirts, of course, sun hats, you know, the basics um, to outfit fishing trips.
3: Well, be a nice addition to the community for sure. Yeah.
1: And then we still have to have storage for all the paddles, life jackets, all that gear gets washed, hung up every day, has to be stowed. Um, it gets pretty busy in the summertime.
0: Would you have any, um, kayak care advice for kayak users out there? You know, how, how do you how um, to take the care sun, of your sun, Of
1: course, you know, is the biggest enemy. The plastic is very technologically advanced. I mean, it is very hard to hurt the plastic. You got to be really abusive. Um, the things that wear outer handles, straps, seats, those buckles and things. And it's a really a low maintenance operation, man. They are, um, they're easy to take care
0: of. You just rinse them down, hang them up, yeah, or, or put them on a rack? Rarely do rinse them. Really?
1: Yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a very durable piece of equipment. Um, the oysters, of course, are hard on people. We talked about that earlier. The oysters are also um, hard on the bottom of your boats. Dragging them and such as that is really the only thing that damages them. We replace a lot of handles, though. The okay. sun yeah. gets to the top side. Yeah. But those boats, the boats that we kayak fish in, it's the same process that they build where you see people going over waterfalls and whitewater rafting and, or whitewater kayaking, that is the same plastic. It's very impact resistant. It's just, you know, it's um, impervious to the weather. It's
3: pretty much all roto moted, right?
1: Exactly. And so for the abuse that we give them as fishing boats, eh, nothing compared to what those guys do going over waterfalls. Yeah.
0: How many years do you get out of, the, out of a boat
1: or a Ah, uh, They can last three or four years. And that's that's a, heavy usage. That's though. a daily abuse, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, That's a lot. And I'm sure when people rent the boat and take it out there, they might not treat it as their own every time. You know, it could be a little mm. abusive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've said so that. <laughs> they, hold up, they hold pretty well, you know. It just depends. Um, occasionally, they've been known to fly off the trailer and slide down
3: the road. That <laughs> happens, too. That
1: that can kind of be a tough one.
3: A little asphalt rash.
0: Yeah, it happens. had a buddy... He was had his tied to the top of his SUV, and he didn't realize it, but it was bouncing around the whole time for about a two-hour drive, and it was rubbing on the rack. By the time he got home, it ripped a hole in, the, in yeah. the bottom yeah. of the kayak. That's a good
1: one. And know. it was his friends that he was borrowing for the weekend. <laughs>
0: not good. Not good. Not good. Yeah. So he was asking me how to weld it back together. So. Uh, I've seen everything you can imagine. Yeah. Jump back for us into the guide business because I want to put you on the spot. Talk about what it takes to be a, um, a fishing guide. And we mentioned it earlier, you know, you're somewhat specialized in that you're taking people out that like to fish or that want to learn how to fish, how you like to fish out of a kayak or uh, fish the flats, artificial, with conventional tackle. Seems like to me it would be a difficult thing to do. So how have you lasted? 15 years in the business when others have come and gone?
1: Um, I really am. I have a lot of I'm uh, a very diverse guide, actually. Um, I will. <clears throat> I'm more well known for kayak fishing. Um, I do have um, a really nice 22 foot Dargle scout skiff that I take people on. Um, we wade fish. We drift in the skiff conventional. I guide fly trips. So the fact that I, cover a broad spectrum has allowed me to be successful over the years Um, and when it comes to different modes you know whether you're lure fishing or fly fishing it's the same fish it's the same areas Um, but there are definitely different clientele that are going to conventional tackle fish composed opposed to fly fishing so it actually lets me pull clients from different areas i go to um, different clubs, fly fishing clubs and do presentations, and uh, we'll attract some clients from there. Um, we go to CCA meetings, you know, different ones of those, fishing clubs um, around Texas. And so we pull a pretty diverse group of people. And that changes throughout the year also. I mean, during the summer, you're fishing with families. It's tons of kids, father-son trips, um, or the majority of mine throughout the year. I've just developed a great reputation for taking kids out, and um, I still enjoy it to this day. Um, But in the fall, that group changes. Those kids go to school, and there's anglers who wait for school to start and the crowds to thin out on the flats, and then we get a lot more fly trips, a lot more um, traveling anglers from mountain states that fly fish that know about the redfish of texas and they come down in the fall and so throughout the year i mean you just have to be available to uh the people who want to fish i mean fishing is the only thing i've done i mean i don't have a backup plan so um you really try to keep working 12 months out of the year
0: you stay at it yeah
1: yeah yeah. um january and february it's you know it's always going to be slow i mean the rebound after christmas People's minds are not ongoing fishing. You have a small group of people who are going to book trips in January and February. Really hardcore. The weather can be tough. Timing is brutal out there. Um, you know, so you survive those months, and then you make it to spring break, and it starts all over again.
0: Y'all do more than fishing, though, too, right? Y'all do ecotourism oh, man, a little I bit? Oh, man, I love the
1: ecotours. We do a lot of sightseeing trips where we just paddle for fun. Tons of people come to the coast that aren't fishing. I, I know that it shocks a lot of people when I say it. But they just want to go to the beach, see the flats. The ecotours are fun. We go out there, we paddle, we have dip nets, we scoop in the seagrass, we catch seahorses, pipefish, tons of shrimp and crabs. Take a water bottle, fill it up with salt water, put all the little creatures in there,
0: it's kids that they eat that up. Uh, adults. Adults. And they're really. just like
1: freaking out. It's like, <laughs> they didn't realize and that's us like, you know, the shrimp, the same shrimp you're going to eat in the restaurant tonight. Yeah. And they're like, what? And the oysters, the oyster drills, all the little creatures that live on just, you can find one little mound of oysters and it's its own little world to itself. Um, enjoy all that. That's neat. Cause that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's, I
3: mean, well, that that's diversity is the strength. Yeah, it wow. is.
1: I mean, and that's, um, it's evolved. You know, I've, tried to, you know, suit the needs of the business over the years and cater to my clients' needs.
2: Dean is also very cute and charming. <laughs> <laughs> That's what brings us repeat customers back.
1: There's days when you're out there and Mother Nature is agreeable. Nobody cares how charming I am. <laughs> <laughs> There's days whenever it is very challenging and the fish just don't want to cooperate. And those are the times whenever being a guide... Um, you know takes a turn to you know you have to inspire people to want to keep fishing um you got to make them believe that it will happen you know and some days you just have to inspire them to put in a harder effort and that is a big challenge to the guiding too easy days anybody could do it but easy days don't come around that often so the challenging days when you're out there with people that have traveled across the country they have one day to fish it is their window of opportunity and if the conditions and everything turns against you you still have to be charming
3: yeah. well, you, you said it earlier there's, we all know a lot of really good fishermen, but they would never make a guide, they would never survive um, until you've spent
1: you know some time out there with people. Um, there's a misconception to guiding about what people think is they're like, "Oh man, you just go fishing um, and especially mine with lure fishing. You know, I have to teach people how to fish because they're on their own. I'm not casting for them. It is to my advantage to get them tuned in as soon as possible. And, um, th- and I really enjoy that. A lot of people come to me. I like to spend the day out there and see them catch their fish by their own pure effort. Um, I, they could watch me catch fish all day long, and it's, or I can advise them and stand over their shoulder. But whenever they actually get tuned in and they see their own fish and they make a cast and they land it, they're, you don't have to tell anybody to smile for that picture. They are mm-hmm. freaking out on their own. And once you get them tuned in, that, and once they get that first fish, psh, it's on from there. Yeah. It's like they can't wait to get the next one. Mm-hmm. Yep. So always fun. I still love to meet everybody that comes out with me. One of the cool benefits of my job is I meet fun, friendly people every day who are here to have a good time. They show up with a good attitude. I mean, how can that go wrong? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
2: And to each their own. If I got on a boat with somebody that the guide was casting for me and hooking the fish and handing me the fishing pole, I'd take about 10 minutes of that and say, yeah, it's ready to go home. (laughs) 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 You're fishing here, buddy. I'm not. (laughs) So what would be the point?
0: Yeah, you're not not improving your skills, that's
2: Mm -hmm. for sure. That's for sure.
0: No, I like to people see them sit up there
1: and get their casts in and see some fish. It's more of their experience than mine that way.
0: Yeah. It's a good approach. It's their day on the water.
1: I mean, I'm going to get to go tomorrow, and they're going to be back at work somewhere. So, I really
3: want them to enjoy their day.
0: Does he have any trips uh, with CCA and banquets?
3: It's been a while. since we used to do a couple here at the Redfish Bay Banquet and some other chapters. I think Alvin Pearland for summer. I think Alvin Pearland used to – that's probably the first place I had you come talk, I think, was Alvin Pearland. And that was right when you were starting. Yeah, that was uh,
1: upstairs at the Bass Pro Shops. Yeah.
0: I'd sure. bid on that one. Yeah. Did you? I don't. Yeah. I know. I would bid on this. Oh, you would on this, bid absolutely. Because yeah. yeah. it's my kind of fishing. You have a guy that wants to um, can you teach bid? you something. And what's,
3: what's my limit? So I can bid for you in you out there. <laughs>
0: oh, what's your limit? <laughs> no, what's your I'll limit? tell you off air. What's your? He <laughs> <laughs> you just needs credit card number. Yeah, I'll just give you no my limit. card number.
3: I'll just go, we'll go, set you I'll up. Just go back to. Uh, we'll set him up with two days. I'll go back to counting and do a little. Hey, Payroll you to
1: make it, make it happen. That's how Put some happen. lodging <laughs> in there at uh, that's how things get done.
0: <laughs> yeah, let me stay at your house, John, and then we'll work something out. I could do that.
1: But yeah, I participate. I've been to a lot of the CCA meetings over the years in different um, different chapters.
0: All right, John Babe's on the bay. You want to spend a second to talk about that because my wife is highly interested. I can do that She's thinking quick. about skipping out on the CCA concert and doing Babes on oh, Bay. Oh, really?
3: Yeah. I know. I get, to, I get to miss the concert again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Babes on Bay is going to be May the 19th. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And May 19th. Uh, we've got uh, regular registration cuts off April the 15th. And after April 15th, the price goes up a little bit. And then the drop dead registration is April 30th. So. Uh, what are the divisions? We've got guided and unguided, and then uh, within those divisions, they have artificial and uh, any bait. And we also have the bay bets, the young, young kiddos have their own division. Uh, it will be in Fulton again this year at the Fulton Grounds, uh, kind of where Paws and Taws used to be. And they can fish anywhere? You can launch, you can launch fish anywhere. and uh, Actually, uh, they're – I think they're, uh, they put me on the spot. We, but I think it does have some boundaries on it. I have to look at the rules. I don't have the rules in front of me. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there there are some boundaries on that.
0: Uh. You ever done that one, Dean? No. Nope. Got it a triple one?
1: Um, we have a good one coming up here in Aransas Pass. What's that? The That's
2: uh, Hotties on the Harbor. It's August 4th, and it is sponsored by the Aransas Pass Chamber of Commerce at a Redfish Bay Boathouse. And uh, this will be our fourth or fifth year... Uh, attendance has gotten very good uh chris's marine's a big sponsor <laughs> haney's a big sponsor um it's it's a phenomenal tournament it's good it's and fun yes we do participate yes, in that one and we do. it
3: it's our little it's hometown tournament. right cool. Is that a chamber does that or
2: ran chamber. chamber
3: yeah and you're talking about female hotties right not not male yeah. hotties all right <laughs> that's what i'm yeah and my, mike and Jan's facility over there it's, yeah. it's fabulous it. mm. yes and it's
1: um it's a benefit tournament it's um um, I think the money goes to the vets with vets. I know they have another fundraiser right. for that one, uh, maybe, but they uh, um, it's all for a good cause. Yeah.
0: Cool. Very cool. August 4th, 2018, Hotties on the Harbor, AransasPass.org. should be able to get to it. Oh from yeah. there. Exactly, I Look it up yes. on Facebook. Yeah.
1: And yes. it's a great um, location right there at Redfish Willies.
2: Yep, Hotties on the Harbor has its own Facebook page, but, yes, you can also go to the um, AransasPass.org, which is the Aransas Pass Chamber of Commerce website.
1: So yeah, Neat. a lot of good uh events coming up in the summer, yeah man, hope
0: we can just get this place yeah. hopping again,
1: yeah, it's, it's uh, inevitable the yeah. people will come back um People require outdoor recreation in their lives they do and the, the 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 fever will take over, yeah. they will come back.
3: That prompts me for another fishing question if I, if we have time, yeah, yeah, we just talked about two tournaments: talked about babes on the bay and Hollys on a harbor. How have you seen an increase in the female participation? in the fishing world since you started? Um, there's, um, I mean, there's not
1: a real big increase really. I haven't really, you know, thought about that much in a while, but I see a lot of, um, the independent females. I mean, that's just, there's not a lot of them that come out. Most of them are going to be brought by their boyfriend or their husband. And, um, I know some really great female anglers, some incredible, um, skills attitude you know what it takes to sort of to succeed at that but um i mean it'd be interesting to see how licenses of, of those have mm-hmm. increased over the years um the tournaments have become more popular there's more items for sale you know targeted at female anglers at the shows that i see um so there you know the market is out there yes. um it'd be interesting to see definitely what, see what as part a, of the definitely
3: says a growing market and continue to grow and you just said one thing I really hadn't thought about. I'd, I'd be curious if Parks and Wildlife can pull those numbers over the last 10 years, what has been Let's the Yeah. License
0: sales are down this year, though, across the board.
3: You think that's a Harvey factor? I think it's a Harvey deal, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Yep. Yeah, they're down. Um, but I'm sure boat sales are increasing, and so with that.
1: Yeah. That never ends.
0: Yeah. Well, do you all have anything you want to cover? Anything you want? else want to mention for this episode
1: um appreciate you guys being here i mean it was great talking with you um we look forward to where we go from here i mean we looking at growing the business in every avenue um hopefully the best for our city here um we're both involved with a lot of groups here in town where we get a chance to meet with planners for the city on the future there's chances you know to rebuild our downtown to rebuild a lot of things after this so we get to participate in committees where they you know invite a lot of ideas on where we go from here so it's a long-term project you know the fact that we're both involved um we're just very proud of our town here and looking forward to where it goes
3: I think you know, you've got two options. You can sit back and, uh, this is terrible, I'm, I'm going down the road. Or you look at it as an opportunity, which, uh, you know, like yourselves, the communities up and down the coast have been affected. And they say, you know what, this is an opportunity, let's, let's move this forward and make it better than it was before.
1: Exactly. This little project that you're sitting in here looking at right now um, could have easily folded, put it up. But we put a positive spin on it from the beginning. It needed to be remodeled. We didn't, really, so. we didn't really plan on doing it that day, yeah. <laughs> but the process got moved forward. So it's the hand we were dealt. Um, we went forward with that. I mean, from day one, from picking up the trees, you started there really. And then, you know, you put a positive spin on it from day to day. I've met so many people that have faced a lot of challenges. We mentioned it earlier, you know, the um, people who came out and helped each other. I could not be more proud of this town. The little chainsaw brigades were the most impressive thing that I ever saw. I mean, these were guys that their own house was tore up and they would just all over the uh, airwaves who needs a tree off their house today. Yeah. And so from that level to where we are now to the next five years, um, we're just looking forward to being a, a huge part of that happening in downtown Aransas. Yeah. here.
0: People want to look you up slow right? That's it. Y'all offer full day, trips half day trips ecotourism kayak rentals
1: birding st- photo tours um shelling um overnight campouts anything that can be done out there we can put it together and you have a
0: cottage yes three have- three rooms three bedrooms how many can that cottage sleep eight total eight Oh, that's eight. perfect yeah. families can bring uh mother-in-laws with them mm-hmm. and Absolutely. sleep everybody it happens quite often yeah
2: yes. and that's on the website as well yep. and on vrbo
0: okay Slow folks. Look it up, check them out. I think you'll be, have a good experience. All right.
3: That sounds good. I got one more thing. What's that?
0: So we found out about, or I found out about Dean through a a listener. So if anyone out there has an idea for a future episode or wants to hear about an issue, hit us up on Facebook or send us an email. We'll try to make that happen for you as we can. And then secondly, if you could go onto your platform, whatever you're doing to listen to the podcast, give us a rating, many hearts or stars or whatever, Icon they use for the rating system. Give us uh, some great ratings and reviews. We'd appreciate it because the more reviews we get, the more the uh, podcast gets promoted and we can get this information out to more listeners. So, all right. Thank you, folks, for listening.